Welcome to this week's edition of Record Roundtable, where we cover a band, an artist, or maybe we just get real spooky. This week we're talking about Black Sabbath. Definitely the most interesting intro that we've had so far. This is Caleb Robinson speaking. I'm here with Jared. This is Tyler. And once again, this week we're talking about Black Sabbath. That was a better intro than the Biggie one. It's probably fair. It's probably fair. Jared, how did you feel about listening to Black Sabbath? Sound like you were more excited about it than uh, you expected. Yes, I liked it uh, quite a bit. Uh, I listened to uh, all of it in like three days. So I just kept pumping out the jams. Um, I think that they're very good. Uh, the Aussie era, which is fairly long, um, was very good. I like Dio in it. Um, and then their return of Ozzy with album 13, their last album that they recorded was a very good, uh, end to the band. And I, I liked quite a bit of what we listened to. Tyler. Oh no, it was pretty good. Um, I definitely prefer early Sabbath. Honestly, I don't dislike the other stuff, but the first three albums are pretty much where it sits for me. I would agree with that. Uh, outside of that, they have some issues. I take some issues with uh, tonality and some of the mixing and production decisions that were made. I actually agree with that as well. And later on, I'm happy to see them return to something that makes more sense in that regard. But part of my issue with like basically from mid to late seventies on is they tend to like absorb some of the like tonal qualities of metal around them, which kind of to me is not super great. For instance, like in the eighties, they actually absorb some of the tonality used in like hair metal. And I'm not super into that at all. And right. it seems kind of like, it almost seems kind of like blasphemous for black Sabbath to do something of that nature. So it's kind of unfortunate. They're nineties stuff. Like, actually, there is one 90s album that I think, okay, because for me, late 80s and into the 90s, metal, such as uh, even some like some Metallica in that period, even, I don't like Pantera a lot, but the tonality of Pantera, um, oh, who am I thinking of? We covered him for Dave Mustaine's group, Megadeth, Megadeth geez. Uh, I like Megadeth's tonality. Like, that era, late 80s into 90s uh, metal, I think is a pretty good tonality once they ditch a lot of, like, the unnecessary... Uh, reverb and some of the chorus on the guitar and they do have an album that exhibits that which i think is an okay album is it a good sabbath album probably not but otherwise it's which pretty album is good that? dehumanizer is that what you're talking about let me look at it real quick came out 92 yeah that's it 92 okay. that's the return of dio right yes yeah yeah they've yeah. had because some of their it's funny because some of their albums are not on spotify yeah uh from uh irs uh, which is a record label um they had uh, several like they had Ozzy and they had Dio, but then they also had, um, as we'll discuss maybe a little bit later, the lead singer of Deep Purple. Uh, Ian Gillen was on one album, and then Tony Martin is another vocalist that was on stuff that we did not listen to. He was like the second longest vocalist for the group, yes. too. Yeah, he stuck around quite a while. Um, but he is he just kind of was there. He doesn't have that great of a voice. And the music they made wasn't that great. It kind of got into like the mid um, 90s was maybe in the realm of like thrash metal kind of stuff too. Um, 
but but yeah the early stuff is was the sweet spot for what we wanted to listen to and i we they have like six i don't know how many albums like 17 18 total albums i think, they had, like I think they had 20 20 albums no no that was deep purple deep purple had 20 albums it, i don't know but um but yeah so they had a lot so we had to cut it down some of them just aren't really regarded very heavily right either. so like 19 16, yeah 19 albums looks like well, a couple of them are live albums so yeah i think it is 16 it doesn't really matter regardless no it's, pretty, not, it's 19 they're pretty good for a majority of the time period uh, but they have some stuff that I'm not into. But I like what they did a little bit on Dehumanizer. And then as they came in to 2013, I actually think 13 is like pretty decent. It's it's a very metal album, and I think it worked out all right. So, what is it's it's to end my thought? I was ending my previous thought. Yeah, it's crazy to think because you know again like we really focused pretty heavily on the 70s output. And by pretty heavily, I mean almost exclusively the 70s output, yes. especially from 70 to 75, which is kind of the, the sweet spot of the Aussie um, period of time. But they have all these other albums and like they're not that well regarded. Like they kept trying, you know, they kept bringing in different vocalists. They kept trying different sounds. They kept doing different things. But for like decades they just couldn't they couldn't get their act together well they never came like other than the early 70s they never began to set ideas for what metal is right so you know they did that with i mean for me the the debut is kind of like um almost like experimental and there's a little bit of like psych in there yes Mm -hmm. so it's kind of weird and then by paranoid they've really come into what metal is for the 70s and they're like this is what's up but for me, like the album I prefer most out of them is Master of Reality. I can see that. Because it gets a little bit darker. And I actually find a lot of the 80s and into 90s metal sounds really pull a lot from that album. And so that album is just super, I think that's a super cool album. I think that really is what the one that sits with me is like this influenced long term, not just the decade. While as Paranoid, which is a really, it is a good album. Yeah. And it has some great songs and great uh, like sound to it, is more of something that influenced 70s metal. I actually, I, I like that you said that because one of the, when I was writing, one of the comments that I had said while I was writing, because of the thing that I thought of, is that when you listen to Paranoid, um, now in the future, you hear Paranoid because of the big songs. But when you hear Master of Reality now, it's because it's in everything you listen to yeah. in metal today. Yep, like, it is. Like, Paranoid is so influential for Black Sabbath. But Master Reality is so influential for just metal music broadly. I agree with you on that, like very, very much so. Um, but I do, I do agree. I think those three albums are really the sweet spot, and especially in terms of them being an influential band because they are incredibly influential for metal music. They effectively created like six genres of metal in those three albums. Yeah, they ch- every album is a pretty drastic change while still maintaining like the genre. Right, and even sometimes they they like they have different genres that come out in the same out. Like if you listen to Sweet Leaf off of Master of Reality, and then listen to like Children of the Grave or After Forever, it has the same kind of tonality as like the the eighties style yep. of like heavy metal. Like there's a lot of and they and like personally, I think and I'll go ahead and get a little farther. And usually, I don't pick the first song as my favorite song. But I do think that Black Sabbath from Black Sabbath is my favorite Black Sabbath song mm. um, because it's like like 
on the bridge of like doom metal. Yeah, almost. It's like crazy to hear like their very first song being so dark and so different and even different from like what else they would do throughout the rest of their career. Like Osborne has this really weird like vocal style on the song. The whole song is just so like quiet but like spooky and like it's just it's a good song but it's like they influenced even like doom metal which is not a thing that's even become like really that popular but still took from sabbath in the future so i'm gonna play black sabbath off of black sabbath from black sabbath say and i'm sure like you guys will not disagree with me on this black sabbath early career killed it on the opener yeah they're very good at opening albums yeah they are like if you're the i saw some (laughs) i saw somebody um when i was on the um, album of the year and they said that uh sabbath bloody sabbath was like the best opener that they had and i was like it's like the fourth best out of the first five albums. Like yeah. Sweet Leaf, War Pigs, Black Sabbath. Like, mm-hmm. are you kidding me? Like they're phenomenal. Songs. Holy crap, how are you this good? Like, and I'm not because like I'm not saying that I dislike Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, but it's not as good as those other ones. But like yeah. it's still a very good and well received opener that people like have been praising for a long time. Yeah, it's pretty they're pretty I mean Yeah, they get people right away in those albums. And then, but they maintain it. Tony Iommi is just like insane, dude. Yeah. He's super good. Yep. He's not just super good at like, he's a good guitar player, but like texturally, he's really good. And he's good at using, because they change even like the tone of the distortion and fuzz on the guitar changes album to album. And it gets like, that's why I think is really cool is like, it sounds almost like a psych tonality in the debut. But then, like I said, you settle into what we know as 70s metal by the time you get to Paranoid. And then when you're in Master Reality, it's just so dark. But what I like about it is it's like really dark and like low frequency heavy on the guitar. But it still has enough mids and like high and mid highs to get a certain level of clarity. So you can really get what's happening in the guitar. And that's what I really love about that album is the sound of that album is just crazy. And that's where I have issue like going forward because volume four, first off, volume four just gets weird. Yeah. I mean, they, they do weird things like wheels of confusion has like a psych feeling in the opening as well. Right. But it doesn't go anywhere like that. No. And part of my issue is that they take the guitar even lower and it becomes really muddy. I said, okay, that was what I said. It becomes really, really muddy. It becomes so muddy in that album. And I don't like, um, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath for the same reason. It's also really muddy. There's no clarity in the guitar. No. It's just like a it's just like constant fuzz something. Which and is really disappointing because Iomi is such a good guitarist. I know. You'd think that he wouldn't and I think the problem might have been, and you know, I don't know this for sure, but volume four is the first one where they started self producing them. So I don't know why he would have said to himself, like, this is the sound that Sabbath wants to go for. Because, again, it's muddy as hell. It is. It's you really can, not you very... You can't tell what's going on with the guitar parts. No. it's And that's super... It's just so disappointing. Because some of the, like, 
for instance, I would go ahead and do my favorite because we might sure. as well. It's Sweet Leaf. I love that riff. Sweet Leaf is a really good The lyric. riff is so good. And it's not even like crazy. It's not like complex or like right. it's still kind of slow, but it's just a super cool riff. So we'll play that and we'll talk a little bit about that. Before we do, Jared, please pick War Pig so that we can say that our top three songs that, that are was, the three openers of the first three albums. That War Pigs was my favorite for a long time. and then But Sweet Leaf, I love the riff in Sweet Leaf. <laughs> That fuzz, that like Velcro type fuzz, man. Oh, dude, it's got sweet, sweet tones. As much as I do enjoy Ozzy and think he like fits really well, I almost wish there was someone that just could get a little like deeper on that thing in terms of vocal. But it's still pretty good, and it's it's just a cool song. I do think like talking about Osborne as a vocalist is definitely worth like digging into. But before we do that, we should talk a little bit more about the guitar because I know yeah. you want to. I don't want to transition straight away from vocals. So those riffs are like that's just like a cool riff that is like you hear it and you know, it's metal. Like not just this, not just the sound of the guitar and like the effects, but it just feels metal. And there's definitely room for that and attempts of that in the later albums in volume four and in Sabbath, bloody Sabbath. But it's just so muddy that even like a riff like that, that's a rhythm riff. That is like the backbone of the song is just like nothing. It's just like fuzz. That's somewhat indiscriminate. And it's just very difficult. And I went like Sabbath Bloody Sabbath just seems so difficult for me. Like, even though I know people really praise their albums up through 75 and like to think about that coming out in 73, so close to their other stuff. I just really, it did not hit home for me at all. Right. It really wasn't an album that I was like, this is just so the production work, the mixing work. It's like they, they also, and it starts on volume four, the guitar, the bass, like the mute, the instrumental portions are like really low in the mix. They feel airy in a weird way instead of heavy. And they're so much lower than the vocals. And the vocals are so loud that it's just like all I'm getting out of this is Ozzy. Which doesn't make any sense. I know. Because like with, with those first three albums, Ozzy is more just a guiding force rather than like the actual like focus of the song. Mm-hmm. If you listen, like, you know, this isn't my favorite Sabbath song, but like Iron Man is the perfect, perfect, perfect example where like... It's just like, so this is the riff, and then Ozzy's like, I'm singing the riff. I don't know vocal melody. Like, he doesn't change anything. He's just singing with the riff. So, like, it's, it's the, you know, because with Sabbath, the way that they wrote their music was, was that um, the bassist, which is... Um, Geezer Butler. Geezer Butler, thank you. I knew it was a weird G name. That's why I always get mixed up. So, yeah. But, Butler wrote the the uh, lyrics. Iommi wrote the music, and Osborne wrote the vocal melodies. So when you look at a song like Iron Man, which is well known for the riff and the lyrics, and the vocal melody is identical to the riff, what did Ozzy Osbourne bring to Iron Man? Him. I wonder if it was. Yeah, I wonder if it was his choice to get. Uh... Just to put the effect on his voice in the beginning, and that's pretty much it. I am, <laughs> yes. but I will before I you get too far. Stay, I go. <laughs> yes. Um. So 
when you mentioned Sweet Leaf, Sweet Leaf was something that uh, heavily influenced the stoner rock yeah. era of music in the 90s. Uh-huh. And Sweet Leaf is actually the name of a stoner rock salute album to Black Sabbath. It's a bunch of stoner rock groups. I, I, don't, I didn't realize that Cancer Bats is really that stoner rock, but not the point. So it's a bunch of people who are in that kind of... Um, that is Queens on there? No, mm. Queens is not. Because I think this came out... Yeah, well, you would have thought so, because it's like 2015, but mm. yeah, no. But the best song, bar none, hands down, my favorite Black Sabbath cover I could ever find in my entire life is Iron Man off of this one. I will play it for you, and then you tell me who's doing All the vocals right, on this song. Yes, I already know. So it's Tyler that has to. Oh, that's rude. That's a game that I don't like to play. That's fair. I'm sorry. He already told me. Well, why did you listen to him? <laughs> I I looked up. Did you see how many covers I put at this so in this playlist? I'm not sure. It, I don't know. He doesn't. Know. William Shatner. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I actually have. That's is it funny. Zach Wild playing? I did. Zach Wild is on guitar, and William yeah. Shatner is singing I, this. Song. I did know that he covered that song. So I can't believe that I was I couldn't tell from there, but I did know that he he's done a couple of covers of some stuff like that. That's just one thing that I will weird. I talked to Kale about this a couple of days ago. One thing I will say about Ozzy Osbourne is that he has found the ability to surround himself with uh, successful musicians throughout his entire career. Yeah, no doubt. So like you know you start with Sabbath with Iommi, Geezer, and the drummer's name is I think Bill Ward. Is that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then so when he leaves, he gets. Uh, Randy Rhodes to oh, be his so guitarist, good. which is known as one of the greatest guitarists ever. Yeah, he's Randy Rhodes dies. Then he gets Zach Wild to be his guitarist, which he's one of the like the best guitarists right now in metal music as well. And then now, um, this isn't the same level of um, ability, but he's working with Post Malone, who is like one of the biggest names in music right now. And he was like, he's worked with the guy that produced. Uh, Post Malone's album on his album that came out this year and he was on a Post Malone song and a Post Malone was on one of his songs kind of thing and so it's like he's been able to find people that are good at marketing and being good musicians his entire career Um, another thing I was telling Caleb this week was like on the debut album you can hear that Ozzy um, like he doesn't really have any personality on the debut like he's just kind of there and it takes until like the next album that Ozzy Osbourne becomes Ozzy Osbourne with his like um, attitude and vocal ability and th- like he's not a great vocalist no. but he is distinctive. You sure. know exactly yeah. uh, who you're listening to when you listen to an Ozzy song, sure. but you don't get that feel on the first album. No, I would agree with you on that. If I think they're all kind of looking for something on the first album, that's what makes it so... Like, it really feels much more experimental than any of the other albums. But it's still one of the better debut that we've listened to. Like, a lot of the yeah, people it's... we've listened to, we've either skipped the debut or everybody's hated the debut. Like, well, the yeah, older it's... groups, you mean? Yes, it's yes no absolutely. Doubt, it's no doubt a good debut. I think but Pink, it's just so weird. Like Pink Floyd, Floyd is was one, one of we... the ones that we actually yep, enjoyed. Yep. 
Piper's um, really good. Zeppelin is one that we definitely enjoyed. I mean, their debut is one of my favorites. Yeah, Zeppelin but like, won. like Beatles, no. Stones, no. Who not um, really? Who not? Re- yeah, who not really? It's okay. Bowie, we didn't. We didn't, we didn't really. even listen to the two. Oh, <laughs> I listened to the Bowie it debut. Bad. It is awful. It is one of the worst debuts of all time. But not, yeah. this is not the place, not the time. You're right. It is. It it's is pretty good. And I thought it was a really, really good debut. It just set the like groundwork for what yeah. they were going to build. Yeah. yeah, it did. It's pretty good. Yeah, his vocals are pretty good. I think uh, they're pretty well suited. I don't know. Like, it doesn't matter. We can't really... Like, that's what went into it, and that's what we know is the birth of metal in a way. So it's not like you can't hear... Up until we started being like, maybe we should put some really growly-type people singing, everyone who sang in a metal song was almost kind of like mimicking Ozzy. They were higher registered people who were just doing that kind of thing. Like, most of it was. I mean, even... Especially because we're looking at um, Zeppelin as being probably the other big metal band of the era, which is kind of look in retrospect, it's difficult to think about that, but because they're not really a metal band, right? But that, they were considered at the time, and look at, I mean, the vocal, the vocals on any Zeppelin song is also, you know, very, it's quite similar in a way. Sure. So, and but, I do think that trailed over because, like, one of like the biggest metal groups that I can think of that really came outside of the '70s was like Iron Maiden. Yeah, and they very clearly very clearly were influenced by black sabbath you know like there's not even any kind of question about that but i think that's you know in particular part of it is the fact that the vocal you know delivery of them sounds a lot like ozzy's vocal delivery but but yeah i don't know i found it odd that you know you get through these albums and like osborne is very infrequently the focus of a song like clearly iomi is the kind of frequent focus of any song and this is the guitar riff and he's just kind of like Osborne is there and he's delivering important lines, but he's not always the most important and even interesting thing that's going on in the music. Well, typically he's not anyway. I can think of a couple examples. So like obviously War Pigs is an example yeah. where like Osborne really takes kind of the center stage on the song. Um, of course, Os- it's really one. Of, that's like really one of their only songs that focuses on a more political topic because they're more really like a horror type. You know what I mean? And like right. and uh, oddity and um, drugs. Yeah, and um, and and uh, what's the word I'm looking for to describe fantasy? Like, fantasy and like sa- like focusing on the satanic occultism? aspect. Yes, occultism. Thank you. Um, and that's like really the more f- the focus, which is co- like we like that. That's cool. That's why we're covering but, them in October. That's right. Spooky month, everybody. But Warpigs is really one of the only songs that really kind of has it is a mixture of kind of like paganist occultism and actual uh, political commentary. That's one like yeah, yeah, political yeah, sure, commentary. Sure. You know, the other one um, that has him is kind of obvi- obviously the focus, which is perhaps. I know Jared wants to talk about it. I know I want to talk about it. And it's probably one of the oddest Black Sabbath songs of an early career, which is Changes. Oh, yeah. That's another song where obviously Ozzy That's a wild is song. The, the focus of the you know the vocal part. Yeah, play yeah, that. Just wild. play that song. Yeah, yeah, please. Not that the guys weren't 
interested in experimenting with their sound, but that's a pretty big, uh, pretty big shift, I'd say. Yeah, there's no guitar. Yeah, it's all piano. And it's how well, it's funny because some people may people who are not uh, big Black Sabbath fans probably haven't gotten into four as much. I would say. So if you're just like, yeah, I know Sabbath's being this band. Uh, if you do recognize that song, it's probably from the Charles Bradley cover, that's which, what, yeah, that's what which is so good because it actually is a soul song, really, in, it, hidden as a Black Sabbath song in a way, right? I mean, it's like it's just waiting for someone to come by and turn it into that. Good job, Charles Bradley. Yeah, it's so it suits it so well. So it's just weird, but that whole album is weird because it's littered with one-off songs where they're like, what if we just did this? It right. seems like so. Even the open, but, I mean, the wheels of confusion, like it's like proggy. Yeah, well, they don't really go back to the prog no, sound. No, um, I know. I mean, changes is obvious. FX is not even really worth talking about. No, that's a pretty ultimately. much a waste of a minute and a half on there. To be honest, apparently with you. they acc- like at one point, Iomi's uh, necklace fell down and hit his guitar and started making weird sounds. And they're like, "Let's explore that." So it's literally them just fiddling with a guitar. Is how they made FX. Weird. Uh, Laguna Sunrise. Mm-hmm. That's a weird one. That's just like a Zeppelin song almost. It's a little odd. Yeah. And but then again, like okay, so like a lot of people really, really enjoy Supernaut, and I think Supernaut is probably the best guitar-based yeah. song I, on I that was ab- album. About to bring that one up because that has some really interesting uh, instrumental bits into it, where they explore something that actually isn't just kind of like whatever. Right. Changes? You got anything else on changes? Uh, not necessarily uh, about changes. Oh. I thought that was a pretty good song. I it do. Was different. I I guess I didn't know that it was a Sabbath song. I didn't like, I think if I knew at some point, but when I listened to it, I'm like, this sounds like I know this. And then like, you would think that Sabbath covered it. That's what, I, you know, that's why right? that's exactly what happened to me. I was like, wait a minute. But, no. uh, geezer wrote it about, uh, a divorce from his wife, which is funny because like, it's interesting that Ozzy sings these songs and everybody's like, Oh, he must've been really going through bad times. Like, Oh, no, this is the guy. It's him. He's going through bad it's times. It's over there. No one focuses on the drummer and his needs and feelings. Bassist. Ba- yeah, bassist. Oh, I'm sorry. Bassist. Yeah. You're right. Even See, the, people focus on the bassist so little that they think it's the drummer. Yeah. The bassist is probably the most overlooked person in the entire band, really. For sure. Which is unfortunate. Yeah, they, they bring the groove, man. Yeah, it's important. They bring the groove. Yeah, I was, I was looking at reviews of uh, Volume 4, and I did see one in particular, and I thought it was funny. They uh, they did not like the song changes because they said that Osborne sings through his nose and I was like that's funny that's, a, that's like what he does in every <laughs> that's song his whole gimmick yeah whatever I think that Volume Four is probably the worst of their first five albums I'd agree even though I don't like you know uh, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath that much I'd still think Volume Four is probably worse than that uh, I honestly think objectively it's probably a moderately okay album for the sake of like exploring some sonic things that are kind of interesting. But you don't like. There's no real idea on that album. I think that's totally fleshed out. And I also think that there's also a little bit of just like uh, disappointment that comes with Volume Four because you've just had three stellar releases from a group who have you know kind of changed the landscape of music going forward. And then all of a sudden they go to Volume Four and it's like "Ah, I don't think this is gonna keep going, is it? So yeah, not great. I do think, because uh, me and Jared talked about this briefly, uh, but I do think it's still worth talking about, is that Paranoid, to me, is still the the top dog of their albums. Um, and I wouldn't have thought so, because like I don't, you know, I, I personally don't love love like a song like Iron Man. Uh, I like Paranoid, but I really, really like War Pigs. But you have to admit 
that like they have perhaps the most important metal side A of all time. Like to have an album that has War Pigs followed by Paranoid, and then you know I I like Planet Caravan. I think it's a cool like deviation in the psych realm. And then you go into Iron Man, and it's like holy crap, you guys just did that in four songs. Like you changed metal. In about, let's see, uh, I don't know. Like 15 minutes. About 15 minutes? Yeah, about 15 minutes. You changed the entire scope of music? Mm-hmm. How? It's wild, man. That's got, Pitchfork gave it a 9.5. They did re- It's the only of their old albums that they reviewed, uh, which is well-earned. I, I think it's probably the their best album, honestly, and I think it probably has like the biggest kind of impact to an extent. Mm-hmm. I still think that Masters of Reality is my favorite. Sure. Because of the, I just love the tonality of it. But Which again, I, Paranoid I mean, is number two. War Pigs is still You know the, so good. the story of Hand of Doom? No. So it's not really like the song about the song necessarily, but uh, a nurse killed herself listening to the song uh, Hand of Doom. Uh, they It was on that track, I guess, when they found her dead, which you know maybe she listened to another track, and that's when she died. But... Um, Iomi was talking about how, you know, like, it's a very sad, unfortunate thing that happened, but he's like, it is not our fault that this person did this. Yeah. But they were a part of, you know, like, they were the original Marilyn Manson, I guess, of well, it's blaming been, for, you know, death priest, music. They did it with Judas Priest. It's like metal true. is always, they're just like, it must have been this metal band doing it. Yeah. From the, for the I onset. Think was I'm pretty it. sure the devil was involved in it somehow. Probably. And I know that you guys talked to that guy. Yeah. I was reading uh, about, I, I don't remember which member it was, but they were talking about like kind of the, the lyrical content of the band. And like, yeah, we talk about this, but we talk about this too. And like, yeah, we talked about drugs, but we talked about how they were bad. But like, uh, that's not how like people took it. Right. But, you know, like, I guess also it's like, yeah, we liked drugs when we were younger, but now we know they're not good, but we're not going to, you know, like. Or like, um, you know, satanic imagery. It's like we're not satanists. We right. just like we play heavy metal music, and that's imagery that fits in this genre. You know, yeah. so they definitely were drug addicts, but yes, they were not satanists. No, well, you know, not in the traditional sense. Right. Tony Iommi, uh, his family uh, were practicing Catholics. He had not um, uh, done anything with Catholicism. For a long time, but in I believe 2013, maybe he wrote a song for uh, the cathedral that he went to growing up. song is how good it is yes so he said he wanted uh to give something back to his home city uh of uh, birmingham not alabama but uh somewhere in the uk 
And uh, so, yeah, that's pretty, pretty interesting. In the that song celebrates peace, harmony, and the cathedral's role in the heart of the city. Pretty good. Pretty good indeed. Tony Iommi. Jared, did you find that Paranoid was your favorite album of the the Sabbath era, I suppose, or the the the, the Osborne era, or just in general? Um, hmm. Probably, I don't know. Probably Paranoid as my favorite as the favorite album. I'd say it's kind of hard to. I did like Heaven and Hell with Dio. I like that uh, album quite a bit. I'd love to talk about that album, but they're not going to be happy. But that's okay. I'm down you to talk like about it? it. I just think it really—it's in 1980, and it begins to. That's where I found that they began to exhibit the tonal qualities of 80 metal, 80s metal, in a way that I found to be not great. I like Dio as a singer, and I like Dio's like I like Dio's solo work with his group that he created of his own name. I think that those are pretty, like, I think that that, like, Holy Diver is a cool album. It's a great album with lots of sweet metal Holy stuff Diver in it. Holy Diver is a, a fantastic song. Yeah, too. it is. One so, of the best metal songs. Yeah, it's really good. It's so, really good. So, um, I don't know. Like, I've, I just don't like the tonality of it that much. That's where they kind of start. So, if I start to talk about, like, bringing back in um, mids and, like, high mid-highs into the sound to be able to actually get some clarity in the guitar again, it begins to do that. At Sabotage, which I think is not super great. I, it didn't really do it for me at all. Yeah. It's kind of weird. And then by the time you get there, they're just like, I guess we should make guitars able to be heard. But also let's put some of this stuff on here that these other people are doing kind of thing. And that's where they begin to like make a shift where I'm like, I don't really know that it, it works for me anymore. Because I lose the heaviness in that regard. It's kind of weirdly airy. Um, but I like Dio in his performance. So it's, I'm torn in a way. I think Dio's career is like super interesting. So he started out, uh, I believe, in the band Rainbow, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, has the song Since You've Been Gone, which is a relatively bigger like uh, heavy metal song. Didn't Kelly Clarkson cover that one? Different song. Ah, oh, Dan, kind of mind. That's okay, Since good. You've Been Gone, right? Or is it Since You've Been Gone? It's Since You've Been Gone. Yes, Y-O-U-V-E. The other is Y-O-U, Been Gone. You get it. Okay. Yes. So he, was that, he did that. He was also in Sabbath. He was in the band Dio. And then he created a band called Heaven and Hell with Tony Iommi, named after the album that he did with them, mm -hmm. which uh, Dio was in up till his death, I believe. And I then so. Heaven and Hell, you know, disbanded because, you know, one of the core members. Same thing with Dio as well. The band. I don't know if Dio ever had anything without him as the vocalist. That would it wouldn't make sense. That would be very weird. That would be weird. But um, yeah, Ronnie James Dio uh, was. A very influential heavy metal vocalist. A very good. I would agree. He had, he had a good vo voice. Yeah, it's a little bit deeper than Ozzy's, which I don't mm -hmm. dis. I don't dislike at all. And he I had more range, way more range. Yes. Way Ozzy. more range. Yes. Well, Iomi even talked about how, like, when he came into the fold, he had a little bit more. Um, he had a little bit more of a wiggle room in terms of how much he could do with the music, because again, like I said earlier, like if you look at like a song like Iron Man, like Osborne would just kind of sing with the melody most of the time. And so, you know, uh, uh, Dio would go outside of the melody. He would sing, he would kind of uh, inflect in different ways his voice. And so it allowed for Iomi to actually go in different directions musically and with what he wrote because he knew that Dio could take it in a different direction and not necessarily have to just sit on it. But yeah, I agree that Dio is definitely a very, very influential 
metal vocalist. It's, I guess it's one of those uh, things where you look at Sabbath and it is, it's sad that they weren't able to kind of find the same level of momentum at any point through the rest of their career after those first initial five albums, especially because like one thing that I've always found kind of surprising about Sabbath is that they weren't really that well received. Like they, like they very, very rarely do you see a group who had a ton of commercial appeal. Critics didn't love them. And they ended up being really important because usually it's not like it's not the the popular vote who enjoys a group. You know, like you look at like um, really any other group you would see, you know, the critics say, oh, this group is really important. And then you would move on and people wouldn't maybe even really know about it. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're really important kind of thing. Or they both agree. Very rarely do you see critics who are like, no, nah, this is garbage. It's too it's too dark. It's never going to work. And we're like. I'm still going to buy it. I'm not going to listen to you. And lo and behold, they're like one of the most important bands of all time. The fact that they were never able to kind of, because really it was bloody uh, uh, Sabbath, bloody Sabbath when they finally started to get some critics to be like, Hey, actually I can see some, some, some merit in this black Sabbath. Which is like sad. It's like way too late guys. Yeah. It's way, it's way too late. Yeah. It's like questionably late. Yeah. What do you mean? You missed out volume four. That was pretty sick. You guys, what are you talking about? It's yeah. like, okay, so you're telling me that you heard Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, and you're like, actually, I could see something in here. And it's like, you didn't hear, you, you didn't hear Paranoid? Yeah. That whole album? That's one I would think would be more the most clear. Yeah. Like, it's easy to look back at uh, Master of Reality in retrospect. Yeah. After the 80s and 90s. But in the, like, at the time, even in the mid-70s, I'd be like, Oh, dude, it looks like we really missed the boat on Paranoid, didn't we? That was like three years ago. And it was pretty sick. And they, and it's like, what? And again, it's not as though like they weren't, it's not like they missed them. You know, it's not like the critics were like, oh, I didn't even hear about that group. They were really popular yeah. at the time. They sold really well in the UK. Well, they started even, selling really well in the US. Even their debut was popular. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's, Where you at, guys? <laughs> nowhere. They don't know. It was very weird. It is weird. But point being is is that like going forward, you know, they never really found the same level of popularity on either end of the spectrum. And they were never really able to find it again. So it's almost like there was really almost never a time for them to attain critical acclaim outside of retrospectively. Right. Because their new you know, their new music from like, you know, seventy six on to ninety three, nobody really cared for. Right. Yeah, it gets questionable. So, yeah, they had way more um, like albums that weren't really critically acclaimed from like probably historically way more that weren't critically acclaimed than were. Oh, sure. yeah, yeah. But uh, it took a long time for like <clears throat> for them to have that um, success again. And it was like few and far between kind of too. like the humanizer was one that kind yeah. of did OK. And then there was another one um, that we didn't listen to that was like Tony Martin was on. It was like okay, you know, Sabbath are back, and then like was that Headless Cross probably or around Mob that Rules. time? Ir- Mob, Rules. Mob Rules was a Don- that was Dio. early, yeah, that's yeah, right. Mob Rules was Dio. E Y R E, I think, is another one too. Uh, the Humanizer was Dio as well yeah. on his comeback too. Yeah, to, yeah. which I, I just thought that like that album, if you look at it, it has mixed reviews. Some places say it's pretty good, some places say it's not that good. But I really just think I think it's perfectly fine. Like I think it fits in well to the era, and I like. I mean, some of the, 
Some of the topics for lyrics are a little bit questionable. I mean, they're, they're kind of like questioning, or I guess it's, that's not really questionable. It's just that really funny to look at a 92 album that questions uh, technology in the retrospect of where we are in 2020 and questioning technology, yeah. I guess. So it's kind of like prophetic in a weird way because they're just talking about things of the time. Um, so I guess that's what I'm thinking that makes it kind of, the, some of the lyrical choices kind of like look out weird. for all these computers. Yeah. It's like, do you, do you know what's coming? Exactly. I'm just like, okay. So, uh, but I think that the, I think it sounds good. It's definitely an album that for me fits into the period. And I think it, I think that it's a pretty good album in that regard. So I don't know. And Dio, it's nice to have Dio on it Yeah, actually for that, for a time where they actually fit in a way that I think is worth it. So I want to talk about born again. Briefly. Go for it. Let's hear uh, it. So it was an album that was done uh, with Ian Gillen from Deep Purple, the yep. only album he did with Black Sabbath that came out in uh, 83, I believe, mm-hmm. after uh, Dio had left. I th- was that right? Yep. Okay. And uh, it's known for having the one of the worst album covers ever. It's, it's a, a baby, a demonic baby with the yellow fingernails uh, crying on the cover. And uh, I think it was some guy that like thought he was Andy Warhol that did it, basically, like a pop art thing. Yeah, but it's an interesting. If you, album. Pe- if you peel off the 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 demon baby, you'll find a different color demon baby on the other side. Maybe uh, if you'll play uh, the song "Trashed," I think that gives you a bit of a, an idea of that album. What do you think about it? I saw that you put this on there, and so I was like, "Oh, Jerry, put this on here. We'll see what it's like." And it's horrible. Oh, yeah. It's not the album, the the sound sucks. <laughs> like it really does. It's like Sabbath goes hard rock after yeah. hard rock happened. What? Yeah, and it's, yeah. And the, that's true. Yeah, and the lyric, the vocal delivery is just like, "All right, give up on it." It's buddy. very strange. It yeah. doesn't make sense. No, it's horrible. It almost sounds like like bad Van Halen. Yeah, you know, that's it's fair. just not it, minus the interesting guitar bits. It's it's I just put it in there because I thought it was interesting. I wanted to at least bring it up because it's like one it's it's known for it's important not maybe not important but noteworthy for a few reasons. One, we covered right. Deep Purple this week, so it's very weird, honestly. And it was not on purpose in any way that we picked Deep Neck Deep Purple for Good Band Bad Band, and then the lead singer of Deep Purple at some point recorded one album with Black Sabbath. The band were covered for right around it. It was like right. we have to do this, and then it was like like critically panned. The cover is critically panned. It's yep. super weird, and so I was like, we got to talk about this thing. Yeah, it's not great. Now, I saw it. I'm like, well, okay, Jared put this in. Had you never? You probably didn't know anything. No, anything I didn't even. It. I didn't even finish a song on that album. Oh yeah, I, I listened. And I go all right, and I sped forward, and I was like, same stuff. Next song. You know, so it was just not, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. It's not really good. What I will say though, uh, is that to Black Sabbath's credit, they are not the metal group that has the worst metal album cover. Okay. Because that regard goes to Iron Maiden by, by a long shot. 
they have they have nailed this one down. I know this is a visual. Yes. So I will tell anybody who is listening. Please, Hide it in the picture. Please go listen to or go look at the cover for Dance of Death from Iron Maiden and tell me if this is not perhaps the worst album cover you have ever seen in your oh entire life. Oh my gosh. That's something. Those are some sweet graphics. Oh my goodness. It looks like what uh, year is that? Corey Feldman's album. It's horrible. <laughs> it looks like uh it looks like a weird like a 90s swedish pop music video it, yes it does it's actually from 2003 oh, oh my dance horrible, of death horrible, is from 2003 horrible. they had the technology to have not made it look this awful yeah dio warned us about it <laughs> you knew it was coming guys i look told the, you look up the album ago. cover uh for scorpion's love drive okay because that is uh, also regarded as one of the worst album covers ever. I was looking at uh, the Wikipedia page for Born Again, that uh, Sabbath album, and it placed number two on, I think, Blender's list or something like that. Uh, but number one went to Scorpion's Love Drive. Is that like bubblegum stuck to her boob? That's yep. horrible. He's, she's just like, pretend like the bubblegum's not... I like how he's staring. What is he staring at? I think he's staring at the bubblegum, but also I think he's staring at the boob. It's really hard to tell. That's uh, quite a bit of bubblegum. Let's think about, <laughs> like, that's like, that's multiple packs of Hubba Bubba, pal. That ain't just one. That's not one piece. That's not one pack. That's like, you. I went into the store. You can't fit that much gum in your mouth at one time. No, he had to chew it, pull it out, chew it, and then he's got to consolidate. He's got to, like, hold it and munch it to consolidate it. That's a amount of gum that the clerk at the gas station questions you when you buy that much. Why are you buying so much gum? I like having fresh smiles. It's for an album cover. What? Don't worry about it. Didn't that that'd be this one. This, and then you ask the clerk, "Do you think this would stick to a boob well?" This clerk has one claim to fame. I sold him all of that gum. That was me. What's the girl's name from a uh, 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 Willy Wonka that chews gum? What's her name? Is that Veruca Salt? No, no it's Violet. Violet oh, it Beauregard. Violet, you're turning violet. You're turning violet. <laughs> my, oh. my gum stuck to your boob. <laughs> Horrible. Uh, burp, Charlie, burp. Yeah, there you go. At first, I saw it on his laptop screen before he pulled it over here, and I thought he was holding like a long baguette up against her boob. It did kind of look like that to me and as I'm well. Like, I thought what it was is just he a doing? strange loaf of bread. Yeah, that's what I was like. Okay, that's that works real good. So. Yeah. I look, wanna, up, look up all those really bad album covers. There, I want to talk about 13 now. I'm down. Uh, yeah. I thought that was a, a very good album. Like, com just being an album, I thought it was very good. I thought it was one of the more important metal albums of the 2010s. Mm -hmm. It came out in um, 2013. And you would think, oh, it's called 13. Maybe that's why it's called that. No, no, no. That's not why it's called that. It's called 13 because... Uh, the record label wanted them to have 13 songs on the album, but they only wanted to have 10. But it ended up that they had eight songs on the album. Nobody won. <laughs> That's why Nobody it's won called that. 13. What horrible. a dumb That's story. a horrible, horrible. Yeah, that's terrible. I would have rather them just said it's because of the year it came out. Because yeah, it's not their 13th even album. On it. It's their 19th album. Right. So you'd like, why didn't they just call it 19? Because. The record label didn't want them to have 19 songs. They wanted them to have 13 songs. Just dumb. Yeah, this dumb record label. They wanted us to have but it 13 was the third song. We wanted 10, though. And guess what? We talked them down even lower than that. It was. Uh, we just want to have one song. You got. You act 45 like 45 minutes. It's defiance. But I wonder if it, maybe it's not. Maybe they're just like, all right, guys, 
the record label wants 13 songs. I think we only have 10. But guess what? We recorded them, and two of them suck. So we have eight. But if we just call it 13 and put a 13 on the cover, maybe they'll never there know. There are 10 on the deluxe, though. There they had 10, 10 of them. They're like, well, let's put on the deluxe. It's like, maybe they'll never know that it's there's not 13 on here. And it's, the label's like, you guys, you we said 13 songs and you named it 13 too? You guys are you really good, Buck Sabbath. And they put it out and they still don't know to this day. So uh, 13 is their first album since 1995. Uh, it's their... What they said is their last album, which, I mean, I'm pretty sure it is because most of the people weren't even in it anymore. Right. Well, uh, Bill wasn't in it. Bill Ward was Yeah, the other three were there. They were there. Um, and who was the guy? Who played drums on that one? Do you remember? Don't remember. I don't think it was anybody significant. Uh, no offense to the guy who played drums on I 13. I somebody significant. Brad Wilk, who was in Rage. Uh, oh, that's right. That's it cool. was. He's an idiot. He's significant. That's yeah, cool. He, is. he was right. in uh, Rage Against the Machine and Audio Slave and also uh, in Prophets of Rage. So he's pretty uh, significant, pretty I good. think. Produced he by is. Rick Rubin I as forgot. well. You're right. Yep, Rick Rubin produced it. I messed up, guys. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a very good album. The, it was the same kind of spiel where the lyrics were written by Geezer, except uh, Methodemic was written by Ozzy. Which of course. It was a spon- Spotify bonus track. Um, and then the they wouldn't they wouldn't put dare put one of Tony Iommi yeah Tony Iommi uh, composed it same way as before sure but that's how, you know, listened, that's how you know it's gold I listened to that album when it came out in 2013 I thought it was really good I remember I mowed the lawn listening to it there you go that's hey lawn mowing album lawn mowing album you got one I got one it's pretty good I think it's a pretty good album too it's really metal mm-hmm. like it feels good for them to make a metal album that like feels like it and is heavy and is like all right dude this this works. This sounds pretty good. I like it. I thought it was pretty good as well. I don't think it's like, you know, some amazing new, it's not like some amazing new metal thing, but it's nice to see them make an album that's like good. Keep in mind, there's not a lot of amazing new metal. Well, not in you. So <laughs> back off. But it doesn't break, it doesn't like break any ground. You know what I mean? I wouldn't say that it breaks any ground, but that does, but as we know, there's no reason it can't be good and not be like, you know, something like that. Yeah. Especially with Ozzy back in there, because I don't think, for instance, his album. What is that? Does that this year or last year that that new one? This came out? year, it's not very good. Mm. I don't believe. Uh, I don't know what y'all. It's think. got a few decent songs on it, but yeah. overall, I don't know if it's an act, like actually a good album. But it was an okay return for him for not having an album in a long time. Um, I think I'll play a song from Thirteen and. Just call it my favorite. I was going to ask. Uh, just because I haven't played a favorite song. Sure. Like, I probably like other songs more, but I want to sh- play good. a song. Sure. Uh, I think probably end of the beginning, the first song on the album. Uh, God oh, is Dead, question Black mark. Black Sabbath having a good opener, you say. That's a pretty good song as well. They're very long songs. Eight minutes, eight minutes, 52 seconds, well, seven minutes. The album's like seven, almost an hour. Eight minutes, and then seven minutes and 20 seconds for Dear Father. Like, it's yeah. almost an hour and it only has eight songs. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of tr- tracks are very long. But it's, I mean, they fill a lot of void in those times.
I think that's like slow. It's a slow burn kind that's of what song. I say. It's kind of sludgy almost. Yeah. I, but I think that that's a little bit of their sound too. I think Iron Man's like that too. Yeah. I, whenever I hear Iron Man in my head, it's always a lot faster than it is on the recording. Right. So They definitely I, have some songs that fall in that realm of like a weird sludgy sound. I think some of us are kind of uh, spoiled by the Ozzy solo years with Randy Rhodes and some of that because he did play some Black Sabbath songs with him occasionally, even though I don't know how he had the rights to it. But uh, it was always much faster with the Randy Rhodes. So, yeah, I thought that album and like those songs, like the atmosphere was really cool. And like, I mean, it's not a concept album necessarily, but the entire album fits the same theme. Whereas sometimes in the other stuff we listen to, like with the four, they had completely different songs. Like every song almost was different. Whereas this sure. album, I feel like everything kind of fit the same mold in, in a positive way, not like formulaic, but. Yeah. You know, I think they kind of knew what they wanted when they came in to make it. I saw them on this tour. I saw Sabbath uh, touring with 13. I got to see Tony Iommi play live and, and see Ozzy sing those songs. He's pretty interesting, a vocalist. Uh, he sounds like he sounds. You know, like he's. It'd be hard to imagine a situation where they actually mixed him to sound that way. Like, the thing is. He never had like super high range. And so it's benefited him in his career where he doesn't have to hit some kind of crazy note now being like 70, whatever he is. He can just kind of go out like when I saw them, he just, you know, performed it the way he did before. And it sounded like an older version, obviously. But I did have I did read that he was using like uh, teleprompters for the lyrics, which I mean, he's old and like. It's not that surprising, but um, I don't know. I thought that was it was a good thing. I saw Ozzy uh, a few years after that solo, and I was gonna go see him this summer uh, on his solo tour, and uh, didn't get to. Did not get to. I think it was him and Stone Sour, if I remember right. Interesting. That's when I saw them, and then when they were touring again, it was Megadeth and Ozzy, which would have been cool because I've seen Megadeth before, but I'd like to see him again. Mm -hmm. But then. It got canceled because he had uh, health ailments. He fell, and then he had some other things happen, and then the pandemic happened, so he wasn't able to... He's now not able to tour, and hopefully he can heal. Uh, but in the meantime is when he had this new album come out, a solo album, and supposedly he's working on another one. He just wants to keep recording music and putting it out because he can, basically. Like, he's no home, reason not to, I know. guess. So, Yeah, unless it just sucks. Well, I don't think he cares. I was gonna say it doesn't really matter. Like it's kind of unfortunate. It's a little bit unfortunate that um, Ozzy. Like the, I think part of what drives some of the nostalgia and like people being like, "Yeah, Black Sabbath," and especially Ozzy's solo career is that he's be he, he has like he's a personality now. Sure, you know what I mean. Like because of the t television and all of this, and because of the lore of his uh, stage antics and what have you. So I think that's good for the fact of fueling like interest in his stuff, even in um, Sabbath. But what I think is on, because I think if you ask anyone, you know, name a member of Black Sabbath, you were just sitting on the street and ask people. Most like I think Ozzy would be the number one person people oh, would yeah. say, oh, right? Bar, bar yes. none. Which is wild. To I think would about. say that if I had to graph it, it'd be like ninety five percent. Yeah, Ozzy. Four percent Dio, one percent <laughs> Naomi. No, nobody's gonna say. People would say Bill Geezer. Ward. I don't, yeah, think, I don't so. think so. I don't think so. That's a more on the memorable street? name than Bill Ward. Yeah. On the street? Yeah, but people don't know. People don't yeah. know. So unless you've heard Geezer, you're like, oh, there's a guy named Geezer in there. You're not going to say it. But my point is like, 
you know, he's obviously the biggest one, which means that when he does things, as we know with his things with Post Malone, like people are going to like just for the name and personality itself, people are going to listen to it and even say they like it, even if it's not that good, which is what's unfortunate about the legacy of what he can do from here on out. Well, it's funny because like if if it was the case that Ozzy did not end up having a successful like solo career outside of Sabbath, no one would look at Sabbath and say he was the biggest member of Sabbath. Right. Because, like, it really wasn't built out of Sabbath that he was the biggest member of Sabbath. He really was actually, you know, a bit player throughout their, you know, their run together. And he just ended up being really popular because he made solo work. Right. So, like, you know, if you're really, if you're saying who's the most popular and well-known member of Sabbath, yeah, you can say Osborne. But, like, if you said who's the most important and like influential person to Sabbath sound, it's Iomi well, like sure. easily. There's no doubt about that. Of course, that, but that is not really like, the point I'm going for. Is like if Tony Iommi continues to make music in a solo career or a collaborative career where he is the main uh, idea generator, right? If it's not good, people aren't gonna just gonna be like, oh, well, it's Tony Iommi, so you know, I'm gonna listen to it. And, you know, like right. It, but not that he could. I don't know that he could make like really bad stuff, but you know. Like it's going to be a little more important for it to be good. If Ozzy makes stuff, people are just like, Ozzy's making it. You know what I mean? It's just kind of like. Oh, it's 2020 and a new Ozzy Osbourne album? Who would have thought? Yeah. So it's like, you know, people will listen to it. And even if it's not that good, say it's good just for the nature of him as a personality. Sure. One time he went to Muncie, by the way. Ozzy Osbourne did. What did he do there? So he and his son, Jack Osbourne, have a television show. I don't know if it's on anymore. But they had a television show where they basically went around uh, in this bus to different places and like did the things to do in those places. Ozzy and Jack's World Detour. That's it. Yeah, it's so, still, I think it's still on. So they had uh, one episode where they went to Louisville and Lexington and did some horse stuff. And I mean some oh horse stuff. I saw the episode. They horsed around? They horsed around. Anywho, then they went to Muncie because Jack was on the show on Been Famous. absolutely hoping you were going to bring that up. Yep. Which is that's a, a great. That's a great. Do y'all remember show. that? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Isn't we it watched it. We weren't that old though. No. So it's pretty interesting that we. Uh, well, I think we're fun. right at that age where it's okay to start watching. I lived there for two years. I never saw the guy with the crab hand. I know. No. What I what I find uh, funny on my end is that like that was a show that like just blew my mind as a kid, but now as an adult, I'm like, no cop shows. No, 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 no. no. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. Well, we man was on it too. So whatever. Um, so. On the Ozzy Jack show, uh, Jack contacts the, this guy that I guess he still regularly talks to at the Muncie Police Department and is like, while we're in the Midwest area, we're going to come on up to Muncie and can you make my dad do cop stuff? And they're like, yeah, fine, bring him on. <laughs> can you make my dad do cop <laughs> so stuff? That's basically what it was. So they're like, yeah, bring him up. So they both went after the from Louisville. They went to Muncie and they did cop stuff. And the, some of it was like shooting, um, like big guns and stuff. But some of it was like actually riding around town and potentially responding to, you know, events. And I heard I at the time that they recorded that episode, I was working for Habitat for Humanity in Muncie, and I had heard rumors that Ozzy was in town that day. And I said, "What is this man doing here?" And I was like, "Whatever." And it so the story goes of, as of this. So there's a park in Muncie called Heakin Park, which is in the South Side area. And it's kind of known around town as being a place where uh, there's a lot of calls to the police. So they drove him near Heakin Park. And it just so happens I was working in a house two blocks south of Heakin Park. And I saw his motorcade. I saw Ozzy's motorcade. 
All of a sudden, we like saw some stuff, and I was like, "Here, I here, you know." And look down, here it goes, just driving. Two or three cop cars, a black car. It's Ozzy. Here he is. He's going right across there. I'm like, there he is. There's the Oz man. Was, the win- was his window down? Did you see him? I could see through the glass ever so slightly, but I couldn't. Oh, it could hardly see. But I know that's what it was. He rolled I, down the window, well, and then Ozzy stuck his hat out, and he stuck his serpent tongue yes. out of his mouth. <laughs> and he knew it was Ozzy in goes. that moment. Okay, but I did see it, I, and I, I confirmed because I watched the episode. Okay. And I saw the caravan, and I go, yep, that's what I saw, and that's right where I saw it. It's pretty wild. Uh huh. It's right by the Burger King that used to be a strip club. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> That's just my little uh, closest to Ozzy moment I've got. Mm. I was two blocks from him. How far away were you at the concert? Oh, you got I, don't know. I was I was in the lawn. Actually, the one show I believe I was um, uh, had seats. I don't remember how that happened. I think that they didn't sell enough tickets or something, and so they made the lawn um, tickets um, pavilion. That's what so happened was, to us that time we went to the. Yeah, yeah, I was able to get pavilion for Sabbath. Or maybe I paid. I think what happened was we I had lawn seats and we paid ten dollars more and we were able to get pavilion. So we had actually really nice seats. There so you go. It was me and uh, this guy Brandon, who uh, thinks he's Tony Iommi. He plays guitar and it's like he's his idol. And so I went with this guy Brandon, who uh, is from the town we grew up in, and he weeped in front of me. Oh my Tony goodness! Oh he my. literally was crying when Tony Iommi came on stage. And it was worth every penny that I paid for tickets to see this man cry. Because oh I knew, like, I was like, Do you think that uh, his nickname in high school is Ozzy? Right. Like, so that, like, people think knew that, how much he loved metal. Do you so, think that when he was uh, in high school, he was so, so set on being Iomi that he actually cut off the fingertips of his, of his guitar playing fingers so he could really get into it? I don't know. I doubt it. Did he? No, I don't think so. I, I just wanted to. Like we hadn't didn't. mentioned the fact that Iomi had lost his fingertips to his fingers, True. and I thought maybe this would be oh a finally a good point to bring it in. Yes. But yeah, it was pretty funny. If you're going to go see Black Sabbath, go with somebody that's nickname is Ozzy. There you go. I will admit that if it was Tony Iomi in that vehicle instead of Ozzy, I'd have been much more excited about it. Mm. That's fair. He's cooler. But so be it. Yeah. Two box from Jack Osborne. Woo! That's pretty cool. <laughs> Jack is the least talented of the Osborne. Oh, absolutely. By far. Yes. Well, Yes. If you want to be real about it, Ozzy is the most talented, and he's not even that awful talented. Mm-hmm. And the rest of them really have almost you know who's super talented? nil talent. Uh, Sharon Osborne, who is able to <laughs> leech onto this man yeah. and milk him for all that he's and worth. end up on a daytime talk show because of it. What? Yeah, she Way was. Go, a, she was one of the the judges on America's Got Talent. That's true. Isn't that like, wild? What makes you think you know talent? She knows talent. She married Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, uh, it's weird. Like she was his wife and then became his manager and has like led his career in various ways. Uh, I don't know. I think it'd be fun to at some point cover Ozzy. Maybe I would next agree. maybe next Halloween. Because next week sure. we're doing another Halloween bit. Which we'll talk about in a moment. But um, but yeah, I, I, like his whole lore is interesting. Like the bat thing. Oh, I was hoping we could make it for the full episode without mentioning the bat yeah. thing. The dove thing. I, I said the lore, but the, I didn't want to get into specifics. But All Jared's it. here. All Jared's it. here. It's interesting. He's a, it he's a wild dude. He bites heads off of Avery, Avarians. Yep. Birded thing, winged things. He thought the bat was a prop. He thought it was a, a rubber bat. He did bat. think it was a prop. And then he bit the head off of a dead bat. I wish Tony Iommi had uh, more credit. Um, 
you know, like Ozzy is still doing stuff, but you haven't heard from Tony in like seven years since their album came out. Like, I don't know what he's doing. I don't know if he's retired or making, you know, like what's up Tony? when you've been uh, put out to pasture, if you will. It's sad when you probably, when you're like one of the most talented guitarists ever, but at the same time, you know, when you get older, sometimes you don't continue to have the ability to play. Clapton has had that issue and you know, other people as well that are like known as the best guitarists ever. And at some point, you lose that ability, whereas singing, you can basically kind of sort of do it your entire life, you know? Yeah. So they, I'm glad that you're giving him the Frosted Flakes treatment. They do at least put him on uh, shows where they talk about metal and stuff, mm-hmm. like on VH1, and you know, as if that matters. But mm-hmm. at least they are like, can we get Tony Iommi here in his leather jacket and turn the lights down a little bit and have him talk about things? He's probably easier to get. Yeah, it, probably. Well, I mean, you know, you guys are really gonna gloss but over what I really... meant when I said the frosted flakes treatment. I don't know what you're talking. about. <laughs> that's why I thought you, you were just. That's why I'm sad. I thought you were gonna say, "What are you talking about?" Because what I wanted to say good? was, uh, "Hey Tony, I like the things you do." Oh, okay. oh, there you go. Hey Tony, if I could, I would be you. I thought he was more than good. He's great. <laughs> that too. Just you know, Tony, I owe me the tiger. Yeah, that's good. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Record Roundtable. We've been talking about Black Sabbath. Next week, we're going to be talking about Alice Cooper. Check out all of our social media bits, Facebook, so on and so forth. I'm not going to do the whole list. You can email us. We might respond. Thanks to our new patron, by the way, Terry. Appreciate you jumping in with us. You should join us on Patreon as well, patreon.com slash recordroundtable, or just check out our website, recordroundtable.com. Thanks for listening, and goodbye.